Well, thank you, Luke, for the reading, and uh, good morning, everybody. If you are visiting with us or just joining us uh, this morning for the first time or for in a while, we have been working through the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible uh, since last fall. We're now in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we've and this, this chapter and that paragraph that Luke read, I mean, it's probably familiar to a lot of us. I mean, that is, that is one of the most significant paragraphs for within Judaism, within Christianity, within the Pentateuch. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This is the kind of call to Israel to remember and to know who God is, to know who they are. Just hearing that phrase would bring to mind for a member of Israel Ooh, bring you back to the law, bring you back to the whole point of the Bible, bring you back to the point of the Pentateuch, that the Lord is one. There is no other God like our God who loves and who cares, who is near to us, who delivers, and who goes before us. I mean, this would just, rem that remember, you hear this, and you would remember this. It's a summary of the law that we've been going through it's a, it's a call to this life as they go into the land, which we've talked about for the last several weeks, that Moses here is giving instruction to the people right as they're about to go into the land. And if they follow this, if they love the Lord their God with all of their heart, their soul and mind, things will go well for them. They are to be a blessing to the nations. They're going to go into this land and be this distinct, visibly distinct people in how they are free. They have been set free. They are going to live as free. They are going to love like no other people love because they have a God that is unlike all other gods. This wholehearted call to them to love the Lord. And here in Deuteronomy 6, it's not just a wholehearted call to love the Lord. So there's this lifestyle like we were talking about last week that the text is calling us to, the Ten Commandments, all of the law is calling us to this wholehearted, honest life with God. That that's the call. And here, in Deuteronomy 6, it shows how that wholehearted love of God is to spill over into how we raise our children, into our homes, into our families, into the community life, this wholehearted love of the Lord. If it's going to work, this plan of God, the people of God going into the land, being a blessing, loving the world in such a way, it's going to take generations that love the Lord. It's going to be a generational model of transformation and growth. They are going to need to teach the next generation, right? Right off the bat. I mean, this is immediately after hearing what the Lord is doing and who they are and what they're to remember, that you must teach the next generation. God is making them think right away that this is a generational plan that God has. This is not just about me. This is not going to be just about my faith. This is not just about my relationship with the Lord. This is a generational plan and purpose of God. And we're going to need to take that seriously. It's a lifelong process. As you read these verses, it becomes very apparent that this is a lifelong process of teaching the next generation a wholehearted and diligent approach to raising children. Which, again, is going to stand out. That stands out in our culture. It would have stood out in their culture as well. Because we tend, and they tended, to have a natural half-hearted effort in raising children. Children are commodities. Children can be useful. Uh, children are viewed as necessary. But that idea of diligent teaching, diligent efforts to raise a child, to 
give them this teaching about who God is does not come naturally. It doesn't come naturally to us. It didn't come naturally to them. They were to stand out in the way that they loved and cared for their children. And within this picture, within these verses that, that Luke read for us today, there's kind of two strong admonitions that we want to look at this morning and then talk about how this looks. But that first admonition to the people of God, to us, I mean, is first to love God, right? End of sentence, right? Like, that's it, to love God and his commandments, to love him, to love others. That love has got to be there, this heart that's been transformed, like we were talking about last week, that God will do this work in us, but this transformed way of life, a love for the Lord, a wholehearted honesty towards God, not perfection, not moral perfection, but an honest life with God, where I am giving him my failures and my successes, I am trusting him, a profound and real faith in God's redemptive love and care. There's no more important thing than we can do for our kids than for us to abide in God's love. Because you're done. Finding our own satisfaction in Jesus in the midst of our life, in the midst of our joys and our failures, us finding satisfaction and hope in Jesus Christ, abiding in him, is the the primary vehicle by which we will make generational change. If I am not abiding in Christ, if I am not loving the Lord with my heart and my soul, if I am not in that place, right, it, don't pass go, right, don't go to the next step. Like, there has to be a profound experience of God's love. That's the call to parents. Primary call is to love God and to experience his love, to find joy and satisfaction in him. And then the next is to diligently teach your children what it means to trust in God's love for them. We are to love God, and we are to diligently teach the next generation. And what's so interesting about these verses, right, it's so simple, and this is the beauty and wisdom of Moses and the Pentateuch. It's just like the Ten Commandments. They're so simple, but incredibly complex. And this instruction on diligently teaching children is so simple, but also incredibly complex. It's just talk with your kids, Moses says. Talk with them. Talk with your children. Talk with them when you're sitting in your house. Talk with your children when you are walking down the road. Talk to your children when you lie down. Talk to your children when you rise up. It's this picture, right, of a daily rolling conversation. All of the time. In the midst of life. And in fact, it seems like all of these moments that Moses specifically calls out, right, are in the seams of our days. Not necessarily at the high points of them. Not like in the middle of our work or at the middle of you know, these things that we do all day, but rather the in-between times. Talk with your kids. Talk with your kids in between. Talk with your kids on the way home from work. Talk to your kids on the way to school. Talk with your kids on the way home. Talk with your kids when you sit down for the meal. Talk to your kids in that sweet little hour, hour and a half before bedtime. You know, talk to your kids. This rolling, lifelong conversation 
how we talk with our kids, being present, sharing our lives, sharing their life, sharing our own hopes and disappointments, sharing their hopes and disappointments, entering into their world, speaking truth, right? This wholehearted life that Moses has been laying out for Israel is to be lived out in our families, with our families, a wholehearted life with God and with our children. And the other instruction he gives with this diligently teaching, the one is this rolling, wholehearted conversation with children that is just going to be in the seams and ongoing within our lives. Then the second part of that, though, is also to make the love of God visible, to make the law visible in our lives and in our homes, right? On our foreheads, on our arms, on our doors, like... The, the law of the Lord, right, his love and his promises need to be visible, right? What are you going to talk about if you don't have something tangible and visible to talk to your children about, right? This love of the Lord and his love for his people needs to be visible to you, to your children, to outsiders. And we all know this. This is, right, the, the hypocrisy of saying one thing, but then not having it visible in our lives. It does untold damage, Right, to children. We know this, right? All the statistical data from Pew Research, all that stuff shows this, right? Like the number one indicator of a child having faith as an adult or things like that is dependent upon the sincerity of their parents' faith. You know, was, it, was there something tangible and visible and attractive about their life? Not about what they said, right? But actually about the way that they live and about the life that they grew up in. Is it visible? Is God's love visible? Is there something different about the spirit of this family, of these people, of this community, right? Is they're about to go into the land. That's how they're going to be a blessing and win over the nations, not through their evangelism efforts, but rather through their distinctiveness and the attractiveness, that there will be a spirit of love and peace and satisfaction in these families and in these communities that are attractive and appealing. Are there rhythms and practices that remind your children of God's love. It's going to be a lifelong communication and modeling of God's redemptive love. That's what Moses tells us, right? This is what it's going to look like for the people of God. A real long view. Not a one conversation, not a class, not a thing, but rather generational, long view of God's redemptive work. Now, we hear this, And again, it's simple. It sounds so simple, Moses. But we also know and have experienced how challenging and hard this is. For those of us who are parents, for those of us who have had parents, which is all of us, we all know this is hard. There is a cost to being a parent, and there's certainly a cost in, in raising children in this way that Moses is laying out. There is an incredible cost to our time when we have children. There's an incredible cost to our energy, physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy. Right, it's the ups and downs because we care about these people and we take responsibility for them. Knowing that they're the Lord's, we have responsibility to this, and it, it puts us through the ringer at times. Right? That's a cost we bear when we actually try to do this. One of the greatest costs probably is just to our sense of control, 
right? Children really quickly challenge the realities that we had control of our lives, let alone control of their lives, control of the surrounding world or anything else, right? There's a constant fear of, I can't control my children, I can't control the world, I can't control myself, right? Like, children really help to show and bring up this feeling of loss of control. So we do have to just acknowledge we, we rec- this is, this is going to be a, this is a challenge to raise children, to be a community of people who raise children, because this is a communal effort, is going to come with cost. It's going to come with prices to be paid and burdens to be bared by all of us when we do this. And we also have very specific challenges that are going to be hard and need to be acknowledged, right, when, we come to, when it comes to the topic of, of raising kids. One that is a real challenge is a lack of knowledge or understanding and training in how to raise children. I mean, for many of us, we did not have great models. We did not, nobody sat us down and taught us how to raise children. We didn't know what we were doing. And even those of us, let's be honest, who did kind of know or should have known what we were doing, really didn't know what we were doing. Right? It, it is a, that's a real challenge. You are not alone, though. Just because you don't have the models, had the models, you experienced your own trauma, and we pass that on in our own parenting to our children. I mean, absolutely, but you are not alone. By God's grace, he has brought you into the family of God, where you have others to help and support, to show you, to model for you, reflect back to you how you are parenting, you're not on your own in this way. As the family of God, we all have responsibility in this, which is a helpful reminder for those of us whose kids, right, some of us, it feels like the finish line when children are out of the house or things like that, but no, right, now you get to encourage and strengthen those whose children are in the house. <laughs> and, and that's one of the things that has been great within t- TCC, you know, I know for our family, we're entering the teenage phase. Well, the chances have already left the teenage phase. The, the stags are in and out of that phase. You know, we've been able to see other parents model this. We are able to hear and be encouraged by others who have gone through what we are in the midst of, right? And you look through the church, there is somebody in the same position as you who has just come out of that position than you or is about to enter the position that you are in. You're not alone. You don't have to figure this stuff out all by yourself. And we have, and then that fact of like, there are grandparents in the church. There are singles in the church. We have a family of God to be able to support and help and strengthen each other. We don't have to do this alone. The other challenge with that, sometimes it's that modeling or knowing how, but other times it's, it's the knowing what to teach, right? Like Moses wasn't incredibly specific here. So you're like, what are we supposed to be teaching the kids? And that, again, is a, is a really legitimate challenge. And Christian families have struggled with that over the years. I mean, what is it that I'm supposed to be teaching my children about the Lord? What are these commandments I'm supposed to be laying on them? Am I supposed to, if I get them just to memorize the Ten Commandments, right, is my job done? Is, is this morality that I'm teaching? And what is it that I'm, that I'm teaching? Right, and, and here again, this does take wisdom, but it also, why... Moses starts with why the parent needs to understand the love of God, 
Right? Like, you need to understand and know the gospel yourself to be able to communicate it to your children. But ultimately, right, what we are teaching our children is what Moses has been teaching Israel through the Pentateuch. Trust God. Fear the Lord. You are wonderfully made and cared for by him. You are his people, and he loves you. He is with you. He has delivered you. He will provide for you. He goes before you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Trust the Lord. That's what we teach. That's what we need to believe. Right? This is what Moses has been teaching us. This is what we teach to children as well, to the next generation. The message of the Bible is what we teach, the message of Scripture. And again, if you can't give this, or if you feel unable to give that, you should work on that, right? That's the place to start. <laughs> well, what do you believe God's Word is? What do you believe? What do you need to believe and hold on to? Pass that on, right? If you don't have that for yourself very clear, like wh- who God is for you and what you believe about Him, right? Well, right, of course, you will feel inadequate to teach that or pass that on to someone else, which is why then often, right, we outsource edu- Christian education or in lots of ways of what the teaching is because we don't feel able to. But the Bible's really clear. It's, it, it is simple and complex, <laughs> which is why it's this lifelong, ongoing conversation. Trust God is simple. How that works out is complex. And is it, there are opportunities throughout your child's life, right? Because there's opportunities throughout my day and my life to remind myself to trust God and what it looks like to trust God in this situation. And that's what our children need as well. They don't just need to be told to trust God. They need to be shown how to trust God in the everyday life, just like we need to. The other real challenge that, face, that we face in parenting or doing this as a community, not just parents, but those without children as well, I mean, it's frankly, it's time. Time and distractions. It, right? We live in a culture and a society that is different than the culture and society that they lived in. But we don't have family structures the same way. We don't have as many intergenerational homes. We don't have, it, it doesn't feel like we have the time to do this. Right? When I hear, when you hear, right, I need to talk to my children, was that four times a day at <laughs> different times? When? When am I going to do that? I've got, I mean, they are up and then to school and then they're home. And then I got, then I'm going to soccer or I'm going to this, or I'm going to that. Time is a challenge. It really is. And it's not going to just get easier, right? As your children grow, their time gets harder. I mean, there's, there's going to be challenge. It's a challenge. We need to be then intentional and we also need to be flexible, if this makes sense. You know, um, there's a couple of books. I'll just give the plug now, I guess. You know, I was going to give it later, but the, the Tripp Brothers, if you're familiar with Paul David Tripp, Ted Tripp, their two parenting books we think are great. There's also parenting forums on YouTube that we did this last year. Uh, Deirdre led one, I led one, George led one with some Q&A and stuff. This is on YouTube. You can find it on the page. There's a separate playlist on all three forums with Q&A. We brought in some guest speakers to talk about parenting. We, we want to help. Right? <laughs> we are in this with you, and we want to help because we need it as well. But those two resources I would recommend from a book standpoint. Paul David Tripp's book on parenting is great. Ted Tripp's book is just called, uh, Paul David Tripp's book is called Parenting. Ted Tripp's book is called Shepherding a Child's Heart, and they're both great, but it, it does raise this, uh, Ted Tripp perspective brings this up, like, if you're going to do this, 
you got to be prepared, parent, to be flexible and enter into your child's world when they're ready and want you to enter into their world. You're going to have to enter in not on your schedule, but on their schedule. It means you got a teenager, right? I mean, I wanted to go to bed. Well, I'm up till one. <laughs> if there's a moment, you got to hit the moment. If your kid is showing something, it wants, you got to hit it. I mean, if there's opportunity, you're going to have to be flexible enough to enter in when they are showing vulnerability, want, counsel, are willing to enter into your world. We tend to put the children, based on our schedule, how this is going to work for us. And if shepherding works within my daily schedule, great. But if shepherding doesn't work within my daily schedule, well, you know, right, there's, there's a cost. There's a cost to loving and parenting and shepherding our children. It's going to require intention. It's going to require disciplines. Some of us need a little more discipline to make this happen, or at least carving out certain windows or times or being available to do these things as we've been called to do these things. The other thing and challenge that really strikes us, right, is really our own failures as parents. It's easy to be overwhelmed by our mistakes or the mistakes that have been done to us in parenting. And that can lead to kind of these kind of vacillating responses in our parenting. Some of us can be a little uh, lazy as parents because I didn't have great parents. I turned out fine. I don't need to take this seriously. You know, everyone's into parenting right now and doing studies. Their kids will turn out just fine on their own. We can, it's relativism, right? That's the way we respond to God's law too. Ah, I'm fine. I don't need all these laws. I turned out okay. I'm generally a good person. I don't need any of this. And then there's perfectionism, right? And then there's many of us who are moralists. We hear this call to raise our children and the Lord teach them. And we will do it because <laughs> my righteousness is at stake in how I'm going to do this. And in both cases, right, it's just self-righteousness. You think you're too good, you're too proud and arrogant to be diligent and actually engage in the process of raising your children. You need to take more things seriously. You're assuming too little. You're, taking, you're not taking on enough. And on the other end, right, you're taking on too much. Like, you are not... God, you are not Christ. Like, what, what are you doing? Why, why do you think you have to do all of this work? Right? We need to be honest. We need to be able to be honest about where we are. We need to be able to be honest about our successes and our failures. Some of us did the best job we could with the resources we were given and the life that we were given. In that moment, I parented by the grace of God how I could, and I trust God. You know, and I look to the next generations, and I know I can't undo my mistakes, but I know going forward, I am open, and I want help. I want a, a trusting God and the Spirit to do work. We don't have to pretend to be perfect. We don't have to have rose-colored glasses or pretend that everything we did was perfect. We've all failed to raise our kids perfectly because we have all failed to be perfect. That's pretty normal. <laughs> and our children have failed to be perfect children. Right? Not all of us are going to fail on multiple levels. Which brings us back then, I mean, really to the text and to the Pentateuch and all of Scripture. Like this, this overarching theme that Moses has been trying to instill in us and instill in his people and especially in God's law has been that God will do the work. God does the work. 
God redeemed you. You didn't redeem yourself. You didn't earn your salvation from Egypt. You didn't do, you don't work your way to fellowship with God. You don't work your way to God. God will circumcise hearts. God will lead you into the land. God is the one who goes before you. God does the work. And if I remember this, and now I read these commandments to diligently teach my children, what if, and this was going back to last week, right? what if the only way for our children to experience the love of God in a heart-transforming way, what if the only way that's going to happen is for the Holy Spirit to actually work in them and on them and to make that true in their life? If that's the only way, what would we do? We would pray a lot more. Right? We would seek God more. We would trust him more and trust in ourselves less. The Pentateuch has been calling God's people to constantly respond in faith to what God's promising, to God's instructions, to God's law. Here's the law. Respond in faith. We have a tendency to respond in fear instead of in faith, just like Israel did at the mountain. Right? They didn't want to go up. They feared God. We, we respond with fear. I can't do that. Or I don't want to do this. Or it's still fear, but I have to do this, which is still a form of fear. Because if I don't do this, then something terrible is going to happen. But we respond in fear and not in faith. If we respond in faith, then we can find a balance between taking things seriously with our parenting, which many of us need that conviction. Okay, I've been negligent on some stuff. I need to maybe get, get on this and be more intentional. But then I can also, if God is the one who is doing all the work and has done the work and will do the work, I can also have grace and not lose hope so quickly or be so discouraged in the face of my failures as a parent, in the face of my children's failures. I can have hope because I know who is in control. There can be an honesty in identifying sins, my own and my child's. I can be honest about areas I need to grow as a parent. I can be honest about the ways my child needs to grow. I can be honest with the community about these things, right? There's, there are very few things that are so off the table, it seems like, in Christian community than parenting, right? I mean, nobody really wants input or advice on parenting very often It's a, it, in culture because it, it is my identity is tied up in how good of a parent I am and my parenting strategy. I follow this school of parenting. If it's how you put your kids to bed, if it's how you spank or don't spank, if it's, I mean, there are just, there are set schools of thought, and I am one of these, and I'm, I'm good, <laughs> right? It's, it's hard to be honest about those types of things. It seems like people are more willing to be honest about their money than they are about how they raise their children, right? Like, this is a problem. We need to be honest. We need to be able to share our struggles and our concerns and our fears and our failures with the community, with the Christian community, without having that fear, right? Not living in fear, but living in faith able to rejoice in the things that our children do when it's worth rejoicing, being able to encourage our children and others and other parents when they do, right, when there's these victories, being able to worship God ultimately, though, knowing that he is doing a work in our children's lives. And ultimately, I think this life of faith, it leads us to really to understand how God loves our children more than us. 
and how God is with our children and cares for them. He's near to us, Moses says, and he is going to be near to them. He has reconciled our failures, our futures. He's also reconciled their failures and their futures. So I can operate then as a parent out of faith and not fear. I can be an instrument of God's redemptive love in their life, not God in their life. And I can trust that God is going to work. It was never about our abilities, right? That's really clear. Moses has been all about that throughout the Pentateuch. You will not follow God's law. You can't follow God's law. You do not have the ability to do any of this stuff that God has called you to do, which is why God is going to do it for you. Okay. Same with parenting then. That's the same truth. You don't have the ability to raise your children to teach them diligently in the way of the Lord. But God will through you. So what does this look like practically? I do want to just give a few practical examples or just a picture that I think Moses pulls out here and that we also see throughout Scripture. So I mean, we don't have time to do a full, we could do all three parenting forums back to back, just block off the next three hours of your, of your Sunday and let's talk about raising children at every age level and every challenge. Clearly we can't do that. But I think there are a couple of practical things, applications or principles we see come out of this. And the first one is right, we really, our lives need to reflect the love of God in a very tangible way, right? That's really clear out of this text. We need to wear it. We need to be wearing the love of God on our bodies, right? Like, it should be visible. It should be seen, right? And we have to evaluate that in our own lives. I mean, does the, is the love of God visible in the way that I live, in the way that I speak, in the way that I interact, in the rhythms of my life? I mean, is it apparent? Is my life invested in the plan of God so clearly, right, that I have a consistent and clear witness to God's love to my children or to other people's children, <laughs> to the community? What is the picture of God and his plans and purposes that I'm imaging, that I'm reflecting to my children? Because we all are reflecting an image of God to our children. Their, their picture of God is going to be their picture of us. That'll be their first one. They will assume God is like us, their parents. What is this picture that I am reflecting? Two, the other principle I think that really comes out of this that's very practical is that if this is going to work, I really need to get to know my children. Like really know them. Not, con not control them, but actually know them. I have to understand them. I have to help. If the goal is to help them to live wholehearted lives of trusting God, then I need to know their fears and their hopes. I have to know their disappointments and their successes. I'm going to actually have to spend time with them, praying with them, praying for them, listening them, listening to them, and getting to know them. You just have to, because if the goal is worship, which has been the goal of the Pentateuch, that we would worship God, that we would fear him, that we would trust him, that's the goal for our children too. I can't just tell somebody to worship God. But you have to see then and help them to see where they're worshiping false gods, just like Israel needed that help. I need that help. And how to worship the true God, which is going to actually require us to invest in and get to know our children, spend time with them, talk with them. And I think, too, this picture of talking is helpful because I think it also really expands our playbook for parenting. Because biblically, and this, was, this is out of Ted Tripp's book, we talk about this a lot in one of the forums, but if like, 
we have a tendency, especially as, as Christians, that we tend to think of three primary tools in our toolbox. We make rules, godly rules, then we give correction when you break the rules, and then we give discipline. Okay, I've done my job, and I'll keep doing that. Here's the rule, here's the correction, here's the discipline. But biblically, I mean, that's not what Moses says. He <laughs> doesn't say, correct your children in the way of the Lord, the way God corrects you or something like that. No, he said, talk to your children. And as you go through scripture, the Proverbs, the vocabulary that is given for instructing children, right, it is, there is encouragement, there's correction, there's rebuking, there's entreaty, there's instruction, there's warning, there's teaching, there's prayer. I mean, it is a vast vocabulary through the Proverbs of how we are to speak to our children. Not just, that's wrong. How did, why did you do that? Stop doing that. Do this. Right? It, we've got to expand our understanding of how God works with us and do that with our children. But above all, it is this, we need to take heart. Because <laughs> again, it can feel like a daunting task to do this. This call on God's people is incredibly strong and feels impossible that they are going to go into the land and be this type of people. And Moses tells them, you're not going to do it. <laughs> you're going to fail at this. <laughs> take heart. Because the Lord your God goes with you. <laughs> and we need to take heart as well. It's the Lord who is raising up the next generation. We can really be disheartened when we look at the culture, when we look at the world, we look at statistics, all those things. Or even we look at real examples in our own lives of our own children who feel like it's walking away from the faith or who isn't living up to our expectations or doing this or doing that. Take heart. Have faith. Trust the Lord. Right? The Lord is the one who does the work. You are not alone. You have Christ at work in you. You are part of the church. Our hope is in the Lord for ourselves, for our kids, and ultimately for the world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, we, we thank you that you go before us. Lord, that you have done this work for us through Jesus Christ, that you have reconciled our past and our futures. Lord, that you have secured a future for us and for your people. Lord, we confess to you how often we turn your word um, into something about us, how we take it upon ourselves, how we respond to your loving promises, and we respond in fear, and we either disregard them or we take them as a source of our own salvation. Um, Lord, help us. Help us to find hope and strength in you. Lord, give us wisdom. We know that you are with us and that you are strengthening us as a community, as parents and as children, as brothers and sisters in the church. Lord, help us. Lord, we want to be diligent in the task that you have given us in raising generations that sing your praises that reflect who you are, your glory, and your love. Lord, what a gift that we get to be a part of a people who you have been building for thousands of years. 
Lord, that we stand on the shoulders of the brothers and sisters who went before us, of our parents, of their parents. Lord, we, we look forward and are eager to see the work that you are doing through us, through our kids, through our kids' kids. Lord, strengthen us to have hope and to have faith. Lord, to take seriously this call, uh, Lord, but with a joy and a worship of you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.